You may find this hard to believe, but 60 songs that explain the 90s, America's favorite poorly named music podcast is back with 30 more songs than 120 songs total. I am your host, Rob Harvilla, here to bring you more shrewd musical analysis, poignant nostalgic reveries, crude personal anecdotes, and rad special guests, all with even less restraint than usual. Join us once more on 60 Saws that Explain the 90s every Wednesday on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including Outstanding Limited Series and Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Limited Series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. It is Wednesday, May 24th. We don't have a lot of in-front-of-the-camera talent on the town, or even that many directors. But we make exceptions for people doing innovative things, stuff that truly is interesting and impactful on the business of entertainment. I recently watched a new show on Amazon's Freebie service. That's their fast channel. It's pretty unique, and it made me instantly want to know how they pulled it off, whether it could be replicable. It's called Jury Duty, and if you haven't heard of it, the premise is it's a docu-series about serving on a civil jury, except it's not. Everyone involved, the judge, the litigants, the lawyers, all the jurors themselves, is an actor. They've even got James Marsden playing a narcissistic version of himself on jury duty. Everyone's an actor except one dude, a regular guy who thinks he's signed up to be filmed for a documentary on the judicial process. It's a great premise in theory, but entirely dependent on two things. Execution, without any big mistakes that ruin the whole thing. This guy's got to believe that everything is real during this trial and a very likable and a little gullible central figure. Jury duty has both, and we're going to talk today about how that happened. Everything from converting a shutdown courthouse into an active courthouse, to hiring improv actors that can stay in character for days at a time, three weeks in total, to staging stunts that push the line of credibility just to the edge without crossing it. To explain all that, I invited on Jake Szymanski, who directed all episodes of the show, Jake's a veteran comedy director, worked for Funny or Die, made a Zac Efron movie, a bunch of shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, worked on SNL. And with him is Ronald Gladden, the unwitting star of the show. He was a 30-year-old solar panel contractor in San Diego, no industry experience, and he answered a Craigslist ad to have his jury duty service filmed. Disclosure on this one, my wife's a talent manager, and she's one of Ronald's managers, but she doesn't represent Jake, and she doesn't pick the guests on this show. I wanted to have these guys on to talk about how it all went down on jury duty, pulling off the ultimate prank show that doesn't actually feel like a prank show. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Jake Szymanski and Ronald Gladden. Jake is the director of Jury Duty, directed all eight episodes, and Ronald is the unwitting star of the show. Welcome, guys. 
Hey, thank you. Thanks for having us. So this is a pretty fascinating show. And when I was watching it, it was one of those where you say, okay, how the hell did they pull this off? Because one big mistake, someone reveals too much. Someone sees the control room. Someone, you know, doesn't conform to what their character is supposed to conform to. And potentially the whole thing falls apart. So, Jake, when you were when you guys were pitching this to Amazon or to others, did you prepare them for that? Did you say this there's a good possibility that this may not work? Yeah, I will say to their credit, you know, we could not guarantee the outcome of the show and that Ronald would make it three weeks. We thought he was <laughs> going to call us out for what we were doing every single day. And so you know, we had to make contingency plans or say, hey, maybe halfway through the show, the show becomes about how we couldn't pull it off and right. about what Ronald went through. You know, that was our contingency plan. And Ronald, were there moments where you almost called bullshit or there was a angel on your shoulder saying something's not right here? I don't know if I would go as far as saying calling like total bullshit, but there were multiple moments where they raised many red flags. There was there was definitely a lot of times when the hairs on my neck stood up. I was very suspicious. Like, give me one of those examples like, <laughs> without too many spoilers, but something where you bet you were like, what the fuck? What? Yeah. So this is, um, uh, how do I want to say this? I'm giving away a spoiler. So on the third day um, was the first time I truly started to like, questioned the reality of what was happening. There was an incident when we were checking into the courtroom for that day. And essentially it was just such a long drawn out, unbelievable event that I remember turning to James and saying, Hey man, I think I'm on like reality TV. And that was on the third day that I was there. Oh, wow. You said that to Marsden. <laughs> yeah. And James did a great job of just kind of playing it off. He's like, yeah, you know, it sure does feel like it, right? This is crazy. Interesting. Marzin, of course, immediately said, I have to go to the bathroom and then ran in to our control room. He was like, guys, he just said this feels like reality TV. Well, he, he might be on to us. And we said, OK, let's pull it back. Pull it back. Yeah. So what do you do as the director there? Do you what do you is this like Truman Show style thing? Do you like cue the sunset? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking to a couple actors in their ears. Right. So we kind of immediately start spreading the word like. Hey, let's, you know, let's be extra normal. You know what I mean? Let's, if we had a bit planned for like lunch, let's, we're not going to do that big comedy bit anymore. Let's pull it back. And we just would really focus on court. And, you know, there's a lot of boring legal jargon and procedural stuff that isn't edited into the show, but that, you know, we had Ronald live through in real life, kind of feeding what we called the reality bank. Our goal was fill the reality bank, make the world seem as real as possible before we, you know, make a withdrawal and, and try to do a big character moment. But there is a script here. I mean, you may be going through hours of motions on what this court case is going to look like, but there's a script. I mean, I noticed you guys are submitting this in the Emmy category for Outstanding Comedy Series. That's a scripted category. So what does the script for this show look like? Well, the script, by the way, uh, WGA uh, Writers Room, a lot of very talented uh, WGA writers on this. Uh, uh, who all did excellent work. Um, the script looked, uh, it changed as we went, to be honest with you. So I would say the first two episodes are a little more scripted line by line. And then as soon as Ronald entered into our world and we had to start reacting to him, 
we would start moving around our planned beats or jokes and saying, oh, maybe that won't fit today. Oh, maybe move it to tomorrow. And by the last couple episodes, we had kind of moved into a, a almost a beat sheet format based on our outlines of saying, here's what's left. Now we have to try this. You know, this character, you know, one of our characters was going to be, you know, maybe, you know, is he going to be having an affair with one of the other jurors while on there? Nope, we're pulling that back. We're not going to do that storyline. That's going to, you know, that's going to put too bad a taste in Ronald's mouth. He's not going to like to see anyone do that. So, you know, we, we'd be changing on the fly. So, uh, you know, it, it kind of changed. Early on, when, when Ronald was just being called to court and in voir dire, and we have a lot of our actors answering questions from the lawyers about who they are and what their background is, a lot of that is more heavily scripted in the traditional sense because we could control and plan for that and then as it went on we could control less so we had to go to to kind of beat sheet and outlines very different from curb your enthusiasm which sort of has a skeleton script and will and just often will say you know larry has a confrontation with this person or you know this person calls out larry but the whole bones of the episode are there it's not like they change up the way that things go uh, because of the participants. You had this wild card sitting at the middle of the show that you had to essentially react to. Exactly. We, we did have kind of those curb style scripts and outlines and where we hoped it would go. And sometimes we would get that exactly as we planned. Uh, and sometimes Ronald would be doing stuff exactly as we hoped. And other times we'd have to go, hey, this isn't going to work for tomorrow. We got to change it. Yeah. It's interesting because you essentially use the judge of the trial who hilariously is played by Ike Barinholtz's dad, who had never acted so before and was a lawyer. But he dictates a lot of what happens and sort of the plot points and and how the case kind of impacts Ronald's involvement in it. Did you consider him your conduit almost as a director? Oh, yeah, he is the one person. I was talking in his ear every single day, every single time he was on camera. Because if I needed to really control or kind of direct people's attention somewhere, you know, he was our number one authority figure in that world who could kind of tell people what to do. So I, I absolutely viewed him as that. I also think Alan, who just knocked it out of the park uh, in that role, was a big part of our reality bank in making our world seem legitimate. Right. Like, how did you get a courthouse to allow this? <laughs> well, I mean, the, that's the, a the real reason, courthouse in, what is it, Huntington Park? It's, it's in L.A. County. It's funny you mentioned that because we were looking at a lot of different locations and none of them were real courthouses. And we were coming down to the wire. And I remember I said, like, we can't fake this somewhere if we want someone to believe for three weeks that they're on trial. Right. I mean, we can't. Uh, we can't build a courtroom set on the on the Warner Brothers lot somewhere and just right. say, oh, we got special permission to do this. Yeah, if you're answering, I mean, Ronald, you answered a Craigslist ad, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that is correct. So, yes, I was definitely expecting to be showing up to a real courthouse. Yeah, if you had shown up to the Warner Brothers lot and they said, oh, we moved the trial here, you'd be like, uh, no, that's not real. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Yeah. So how did you pull that off? How did you get them to okay this? Well, our amazing locations department, uh, number one, Tara found this um, courthouse that had been shut down for budget cuts. It had, that courthouse had actually been closed for, I think, eight to 10 years. Okay. And when we saw it, 
it was dressed as a haunted house that the community was using every October. Literally, it was like fake blood smeared on the walls and fake uh, huh. uh, predator mannequins in the corners. <laughs> and, uh, and our job then was to take it, clean it up, get it functioning again. Most of our location budget went into fixing the plumbing and air conditioning in that building, which was no longer functioning. It did not have like functioning bathrooms. Uh, and, and kind of getting it back into courtroom shape. But one of the best things about it was we could, you know, there were still stains on the carpets and it felt really worn in. And to me, I was like, well, this is perfect because it's, it kind of smells like an old government building that hasn't had the best upkeep. And that's kind of what you expect. So we really came down to the wire, but got very lucky in finding that location. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. There's a version of this show that is a prank show that you kind of are in on the joke and Ronald becomes the butt of the joke. And what's interesting about what you guys did with this show is that it wasn't the Joe Schmo show, which was a parody of The Bachelor a long time ago, although I saw they're recently they're doing another one probably in response to what you guys did. Um, but that show, the the guy was the the butt of the joke and everything was sort of uh, designed to make him uncomfortable and kind of push the limits. But you guys made a choice here, it seems, to kind of turn Ronald into almost like the hero of the show, where it becomes about him outlasting all of this craziness and being on this journey. And by the end, we're, we are invested in him kind of figuring this out or being a good sport about it at the end. Like, tell us, like, what was the calculus there, both from both of your guys' perspective and and on Ronald's part, how you felt at the end when the reveal happened? Yeah, hopefully Ronald uh, doesn't feel too pranked, as, as the word he would use. I think actually, we but that's a choice. Or, you guys, you guys must have decided yes, that. That that was the idea from the beginning. Uh, was okay. How do we? Uh, it's, if it's not a prank show, the idea was, can we put someone who doesn't know this is a show on the classic hero's journey path? Can we get someone to it, the 12 angry men moment at the end of a court case where he's pushing people in the right direction for a vote? And he and and it's someone who doesn't know uh, he's doing it for for entertainment, right? And it's just trying to pick a good person and put them through this moral obstacle course and set it up that way and not not do things to him but have kind of a, a cast of heightened characters around him doing things. And it's more about, and this is even before we found you, Ronald, 
It's more about finding a hero is what is how we refer to it to kind of do what I learned were called help me pranks, right? They're not pranks. They're not, we're not, we're not doing something to Ronald. We're setting up situations around him and setting up the opportunity for him to help or not help engage or not engage kind of, kind of be a compass for people. Okay. And then, and then that essentially functions almost as a test. Will he be nice? Will he be a jerk? Will he kind of run away? And, and then will it be entertaining on top right. of all of that? <laughs> um, Ronald, take us through the reveal. Ang- uh, did you go through all the steps? Anger, denial, all of them? So to speak on it from my perspective, and I like what Jake just said, because this is how I describe it as well, too. Um, I viewed, I didn't see this as more of like a prank. So no, I didn't go through like these wide ranges of motions. Like I was, I, I was genuinely never mad at any point during this time. Because to me, it didn't feel like I got pranked. It literally felt like I was put through like a moral obstacle course, because depending on the decisions that I made, depended on the direction that the show ultimately would go. Like if I jumped on the bandwagon and I pushed Todd to the side, as opposed to trying to welcome him and, you know, um, make him feel good about who he is, that's a completely different show. You know, then it becomes a bit more mean spirited and it takes the, the show in an entirely different direction. So I don't feel like I was so I wouldn't say that I was ever mad. Um, it was more of just like an ultimate feeling of disbelief. Like I, I couldn't believe that it happened to me. But man, three weeks sequestered without your phone? Like that sucks. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm definitely not <laughs> denying that for sure. As, as much as that does suck though, I got to say coming from my line of work where I am constantly dealing with customer complaints, dealing with people calling out. There's always issues with guys. There's, you know, nobody ever calls you to tell you did a good job. There's always an issue. So truthfully, having a break from that, it kind of felt a little bit good, not having to worry about responding to emails, messages, answer these calls. Like it was kind of a cool feeling. We're really just trying to get people to spend more time off their screens. That's really the point of the show here. Yeah, yeah, it's a do-gooder effort. Absolutely, and it it makes bonding with other people that much better. (laughs) You know, that's that's what made this so uh, enjoyable for me. You know, it's like I was forced to interact with these people, which turned out to not be a terrible thing. Yeah. And you stayed in contact with a lot of them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I love these people. Yeah. I mean, that is a you guys hit the lottery, Jake. I mean, there is a version where if this was me, I would have been pretty damn pissed <laughs> about what happened. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's well, why you wouldn't have picked me. I was going to say, we tried to, one, conduct ourselves in a way that hopefully that wouldn't happen. And two, you know, we spent a lot of time and effort trying to pick the right person as well. And we had high hopes for Ronald, I will say, but uh, he also blew our expectations out of the water and was better than we could have hoped. So you guys pull the curtain back a little bit in the show and kind of reveal the control room. But is this really, was it like a Truman show type situation where you are giving direction in real time to these actors as they are interacting with Ronald? Sometimes, but that's kind of in the minority of, of instances. I, I, I had communication with some of the actors in scene, but not all of them. And what we did is we had a we had a rehearsal period before we ever started rolling where we kind of went through the hypothetical version of every day that we were going to do. Hmm. But but then uh, more importantly, while we were filming, we would meet with all the actors about two hours before Ronald would show up to the courthouse and we would kind of rehearse the plan for that day. 
and we'd kind of oh, have our. Oh, our- interesting. So you would have everybody there when Ronald would come from the hotel and it would all be set up already. Yeah. So sometimes they'd get there and then Ronald was about to show up and then everyone would leave and pretend get into a van, drive around the block and pretend to show up five minutes after him because we also didn't want everyone to magically show up at the same time every day or Ronald always be the last person there. We had to mix that up too. And, and a lot of our rehearsals was, you know, also talking with, Hey, here's what we heard listening yesterday. Did anyone else hear anything or uh, did Ronald say anything that we might've missed that might affect what we're doing today? And I, I started to kind of refer to it as like directing by flow chart, which was like, here's our A plan for the day. If this doesn't work, let's switch to our B plan. And if for some reason that doesn't work, we're going to call in our C plan where, where now these two actors who weren't part of our A or B plan are going to come in and try this all with the goal of getting Ronald to hit the beats, you know, to, to get, go where we needed him to go. And a lot of my talking to actors throughout the day, sometimes it was giving lines or reminding them things. A lot of times it was just like, we're going with plan B, like switch to plan B, like abort this plan. Now let's try this path just to try to keep getting where we needed to go. So. Where does this format go from here? Can you do this again? Can you replicate it? Or do you have to do something completely different or just drop it and say, this is a great one-off. It worked. We got some great attention. And now we'll move on. Well, I don't know. I heard, uh, Ronald, I heard you may have got a summons for jury duty recently. Is that right? Like a totally legit jury duty summons, right? That is correct. Yes. (laughs) Would you have a documentary crew follow you around and do the real (laughs) jury duty? I mean, I, I didn't know if that was something they were seriously kicking around, but there's your season two, right? It could be. Ronald and I were joking the other day, like, we should we should talk to Amazon and get them to film you doing real journey. <laughs> See how it fun. goes. No, yeah. but you could do this again, right? I mean, it would be tough, but it would be replicable. I don't know if you if you could go into the jury world again anytime soon, based on how much attention we've gotten, but yeah, I'll say this. When we finished this, everyone who was there every day and on the ground, I mean, we were emotionally exhausted by the end of this. And it was just physically tough too. the hours per day, you know, putting this together for three weeks straight. We all said, well, we're never going to do anything like this again. No way. Uh, and now uh, with a little time and a little sleep and knowing how to do it a little better to avoid some of our stressful moments, I think... Yeah, I think there's conversations about, hmm, maybe we should talk at some point and and figure out if there's something else to do here. And how about you, Ronald? What do you want to do? You got a taste of Hollywood. Well, I mean, I'm definitely enjoying the exposure to the entertainment industry, and I definitely (laughs) play in it. So this has been fun. Yeah, but like, you know, you don't want to be an actor, do you? I'm not opposed to being an actor, but that's not in the foreseeable future. Like, that's not authentic to who I am. I'm not formally trained. I haven't taken any classes. Oh, like- come on. You don't need that. <laughs> you, you got you got, uh, you got, got a little star power. That's that's all you need. Well, thank you. I appreciate the vote of confidence, but I just <laughs> that I would do very well reading from a script. And you got a connection with James Marsden. He can put you in whatever he does next. That's true. Yeah. I'm waiting for him to plug me. Yeah, exactly. If you read the online comments, you, a lot of people were convinced you were an actor until we got to our final episode, I think. <laughs> oh, were there conspiracy theories that he was in on it? There are some voices going like, there's no way he's not an actor. Which I think is funny, too, though, because like I feel like when I'm reading lines, that's pretty apparent that that's my first time ever exploring that world. Yeah, that would have been a fun twist, though, at the end, that he's actually an actor and the, and the rest of the cast didn't know it. 
<laughs> yes, yes. Uh, I think I, I think we did create such a uh, trying to do something in the Truman style. Truman Show style does create a little bit of paranoia that becomes infectious. And I will say there were definitely some of our cast who were like, "Is that what's happening?" Like because it started going so well at some point. You know what I mean? That we oh we're getting everything we need for the episodes. There were definitely some of our cast going like, "Wait, are we?" The ones who the show is about. Well, Marsden like, like, says that on Fresh Air. He said his, the first reaction when he told one of his actor buddies that he was going to do this was make sure the joke is not on you. Yeah, I think Ben Schwartz told him that. <laughs> Which is actually a funny premise. That could be season two. This project did bounce around for a while, right? This is before my time, before I was ever involved. Okay. So I, I might not know all the details, but Lee and Gene had written a scripted jury duty pilot as, as a scripted show with no reality element to it. And uh, that ultimately never got made. And I'm not exactly sure when or where that was. But then when the idea was, hey, let's do a show with a real person who doesn't realize they're the star of a show, they went back and used some elements from that jury duty scripted show they had done and reformed it for, for this world. And what was the process of taking the show out? How did it end up at Amazon Freebie? I actually wasn't in the room taking it out. I got involved afterwards, but I do know that they took it everywhere and everyone said, no way, this is too crazy or too risky. And, and Freebie is the, are the only people to their credit who said, let's do it. Right. Interesting. Um, all right, guys. Appreciate the time. Good luck with the show. It's really funny, innovative. Um, I think a lot of people in town are watching it and are impressed by what you guys pulled off. So thanks for coming on. Thanks. Great talking to you. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. All right. We are back with the call sheet. Jesse is in for Craig, who is still cavorting in Sweden with the Gojo Swedes. Jesse, are you a HBO Max subscriber? I am a uh, password sharer. Max subscriber. Ah, busted. I am. They're indeed. coming for you soon. I know. I'm I'm trying to get on the run as fast as I can, go as further as I can before they catch me. But at the end of the day, you know, they're probably going to catch me. It is yep. what it is. That's okay. So today, big day in HBO Max world. They are dropping the HBO, just going with Max. It's cleaner. And the product will still be 10 bucks with ads, 16 bucks without. 20 bucks for a premiere tier with four streams and 100 downloads and other bells and whistles. The difference is all the Discovery Plus content is merging into HBO Max for one super service offered by Warner Brothers Discovery with everything that you could ever want to watch from HBO stuff to Dr. Pimple Popper. Will this work? Will it grow the subscriber base? My prediction is that it actually will. I know there's a lot of hate out there for dropping the HBO out of the Max name. I think this will actually work. And I see both sides. The pro here, obviously, what, what I think is that HBO is tapped out. You know, they that for as many people that love HBO, there's a lot of people that don't love it and think that doesn't matter what they put on the service, it's not going to be for them. You know, they've got about a little less than 100 million subscribers to HBO, HBO Max, and Discovery Plus around the world. More than half of those are in the U.S. and Canada. And they want to grow globally. And I think just dropping the name, dropping HBO out is going to. The obvious con there is that HBO is a huge television brand. 
and means quality TV. Why would you get rid of a name that means quality TV? Max means nothing. And they've got to build that from nothing. I don't know if I agree with that. I think that Max now has some meaning with HBO Max and they can use this to make Max mean something bigger than HBO eventually. What do you, where do you fall there? I think down the line, uh, Max will eventually get to that point, but I think dropping HBO will affect some people because they, you said HBO has been the top tier like cable TV, like that's where you go to watch shows. So that's where you go to watch Sopranos, Game of Thrones, anything that HBO had. Now, when you hear Max, you're just like, oh, what? what's that? I don't know. Is well, that... but it has HBO. The thing, the thing yeah, about Yeah, but you wouldn't is... know about it because they mm. dropped the HBO. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. It's not called line, Marvel. It will. It, it's not called Marvel Plus. It's called Disney Plus. But you know that all the Marvel stuff is on Disney Plus. So I, I don't think you necessarily it's not Warner need... Brothers Plus. <laughs> no, it's that's true. <laughs> but my, my point is the HBO people wanted this. If you talk to people at HBO, they felt the burden of attaching that brand to content that was not HBO style content. They like that HBO is going to be a featured part of and branded tile on Max. They can kind of take a back seat and just kind of focus on their own individual properties and not have to worry to sell that this is where you're going for all HBO content, not Warner Brothers content, not Discovery content, not whatever anything else it's everything not just hbo i get it it's more it's brand clarity the max originals that they've been doing on hbo max for the past few years it was often hard to distinguish them from the hbo content because you know it was all kind of mushed together on one service that was branded hbo max now i think it'll be a little easier to say okay this is a max original and it's going to live separately and it's not going to be HBO. So it it telegraphs to the consumer a little bit more easily. Um, We'll see, you know, financially speaking, it's interesting. You know, they're still having the discovery plus service exist on its own as a standalone. So there's not much incentive for people who just love discovery to come over to the new max product, but maybe they'll get a bunch of people that see the value there and say, okay, now HBO max wasn't for me. But Max is for me. We'll see. I think it's going to be additive, but I I see both sides here. All right, that's the show. I want to thank my guests, Jake Szymanski and Ronald Gladden. I want to thank producer Jesse Lopez and for Craig. And I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow. 